Welcome to We're Talking. We have an opinion about everything, and it means absolutely nothing. Now, here are your hosts, the rocket surgeon and the brain scientist, but we're not sure who's who. Craig Malasa and Josh Jacno, they're talking. Three. Welcome to We're Talking. Josh is out today, but we do have this afternoon Danny Reed, the voice of the Georgia Southern University Eagles. You can listen to Danny on the Georgia Southern Sports Network over TuneIn. How's that sound, Danny? Was that right, or did I mess that up too? Well, you had a chance to rehearse it with Colin, so you better have gotten it right. Well, I, I said the Georgia uh, Southern Radio Network, so but I know well, that's y'all not are technically more than... wrong. That's well, not that's... technically wrong. Okay, well, he said that too, so I'm all right, all right good. All right, good. So right. Uh, here's the, the history of it. It used to be the Georgia Southern Sports Network way back in the 80s and 90s, but that was kind of split between what was going on radio-wise and also the local TV broadcast when Georgia Southern football was on in the Savannah market. But then it transitioned to the Georgia Southern Radio Network uh, about mid-2000s. But since I want to say 13 or 14, it's been back to Georgia Southern Sports Network. But really, it's all right. Okay. Well, good deal. And is there a way, uh, obviously, if I, if I go search for it, for, for, I think for in TuneIn, I can find it. But I usually click on the link on the schedule. That's the easiest thing for me. But is there a way to tell my Amazon devices to, to play you guys? Or, or, or do you not know that? Or do you know that? I don't think we're as advanced as our friends at Arkansas State or Troy, because I know okay. that they have those capabilities. But if you do go to TuneIn and search Georgia Southern Eagles Sports Network, they break our streams down by sport and also by live shows. So if you want the direct link to football, basketball, or baseball, or any of our coaches' shows, it's all separated. It's actually a pretty nice deal they did for us. Very good. I, I said, uh, obviously, our, our situation is a little different, but I'm used to so so often telling my device to uh to play over the house when i want to listen to somebody well so, you've also got to deal with jay so you are a saint immediately oh we're not even gonna go there right now we'll save that for when we have time <laughs> for bourbon and whiskey and maybe cigars all, all for that for sure so uh so for those of us for those for those who don't know who you are tell us a little bit about yourself what you know where you went to school what what how you got started in the business maybe uh uh, any anything you'd like to give our listeners uh, some information about without them stalking you later on? <laughs> Currently in year six at Georgia Southern doing football, men's basketball, and baseball. I know you talked to Colin a few days ago, so we formed the baseball broadcast team. We are both involved with all three sports, and it's been that way since I got here in September of 2015. Grew up in Western Maryland, a town called Cumberland. It's about two hours away from Baltimore, D.C., two hours away from Pittsburgh. I always tell people you can get to four different states from where I live in less than an hour. Just really nice of how it was set up. I can get to Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and all that jazz. Always wanted to be in sports broadcasting. I would go to games I wasn't playing in, and I'd just kind of call the game to myself in the crowd. If I was playing video games growing up, I would kind of talk along with the recorded announcers that were part of the game. And for me, it was mostly Pat Summerall and John Madden on those really early editions of John Madden football on the Sega Genesis. And eventually I turned them down and I started doing it myself and then got a chance when I was in high school to do some little league baseball locally. I was a coach for one of the teams in our league and 
fortunate enough that one of the guys that was one of my early mentors was my high school history and government teacher. And he was one of the primary sports people at the local radio station, WCBC in Cumberland, 1270 AM. They recently celebrated 40 years on the air. And I just got to enjoy it so much more than I thought I would doing little league baseball. I got to do stats for high school football when our team wasn't playing, went to college for it did a couple sports there. I played football at Waynesburg University about an hour south of Pittsburgh, but I got the chance to do some high school football my senior year. Just with the schedules, it was very difficult if we were traveling somewhere. Graduated in 2007, then moved to Charleston, South Carolina in March of 2008 to do minor league baseball with the Class A Riverdogs. They're they used to be a Riverdogs were a Yankees affiliate. Now they're a Rays affiliate with the reorganization of minor league baseball coming into 2021. They're still low class state, but now back with the Tampa Bay Rays. I was there for almost four years, transitioned to do three years with the Citadel, also in Charleston, so I didn't have to pick up and move anywhere. I did football, basketball, baseball for the Citadel. Also ran the network, got stations, sold advertising, did promos, did everything for the Citadel's broadcasts. Got back into minor league baseball in the spring of 15 out in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which I'm sure the Cajuns are familiar with. That's where Western Kentucky is located. Spent one year out there with the Hot Rods. They were an affiliate of the Rays at the time in the Midwest League. And then Georgia Southern just happened to open up when Chris Blair got the LSU position, and I was one of the people that put in for it. They kept filtering the process down. I, I was really hopeful that I would get it because when I was at the Citadel, I'd gone to Statesboro a number of times in various sports. I really enjoyed the place. I enjoyed the culture and getting to know some of the people in the town and especially the guys in the crew. We just, we click right away and I thought it'd be cool to work with them down the line. Ended up getting that moved down to Statesboro in September of 15 and six years later, I'm doing a podcast with you. Very nice. That That's, uh, <laughs> you know, I knew there was a Citadel connection. I couldn't remember if you went to school there or if it, if it was a broadcast, so very cool i've always thought the citadel is and maybe part of that i think there was a movie in the 80s about the citadel uh lords of discipline yes yes i uh, had a boxer in there and a couple other people yep. uh enjoyed the movie i might have to check that out again uh, the book is really good by pat conroy he passed away a couple of years ago but a okay. graduate of the citadel they they did the movie the guy that's actually the main character in the movie was slider from top gun rick rosovich so that's oh. a, that's an interesting bit of trivia about that wow I, I can go to bed now. I'm learning something new every every time I talk to you guys. No, but that pour that your, is... your bourbon, get a cigar, go to bed. It's a full night for Craig. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, man, that's very cool. I will have to check. I, I didn't know there was a book. Uh, honestly, uh, there there are a few. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, a few good men. Uh, just about any war movie or army or or uh, armed forces movie, but uh, uh, there's no book about. A few good men. Uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote that screenplay. So it, it's funny you bring that up because I was watching the final scene. I, I've watched that scene every now and then with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. I watched that scene every so often. I just watched that this morning right before we left to get on the road. That's that's really weird that you brought that up. Wow, small world. It's one of my it's, favorite movies. I, I love a few good men. It's one of my favorite movies. It is, and it's been a while. I've, I've been I've been saying to myself, I want to see it again over the last couple months and I just haven't done it. I, I need to just take some time. So very cool. So uh, sounds like a lot of minor league baseball. So I, I know, I, I know just through our conversations uh, through the years, we've talked a lot of baseball. I mean, we've talked sports in general, but I think the best times we've had is being able to talk baseball and, 
and uh, when you were here a couple of years ago and being able to sit and watch baseball together uh, during the Sunbelt Conference tournament here in Lafayette. So um, minor league baseball, I, I think you're a Pirates fan, though, if, if I am correct, or that's where you're closest to because yes. that's where you grew up. So, so I don't remember a whole lot of the Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla days. I know that he's still safe at home. I'm talking about Sid Bream, and that set my childhood into several months of, well, are they going to, but more likely not going to. You had the team in 97 that had no business being in the hunt until the final week and almost had a wild card. And then you had the three-year run from 13 through 15 with McCutcheon and Marte, where they were just awesome to watch. You had the three wild card games at PNC, at, of course, at the Reds' expense in 13, yep. which I have a feeling was going to come up eventually, but as soon as Johnny Cueto dropped the ball, that game was over. Yeah. That game was over. It's, uh, well, I'll give you kudos for this. You came on the show today, even though the, the Reds just beat the Pirates two out of three. They just finished game three today uh, in extra innings. I mean, I'm not surprised by that. I know. The, 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 the Pirates are horrible right now. I mean, there's no other way the to say it. The fact that they've won 15 games now is pretty amazing. I didn't think they'd win 50 all year, and who knows, they still may not, but some of the younger talent has performed a little bit better. I know Moran's on the IL right now with an injury. They've got half their usual starting lineup out, and he, Brian Hayes, got hurt second game of the season. He may not be back until August, and that's somebody that was playing. I think they'd be in an even better position, but that's somebody that that's where their future is, and they need to protect Hayes at all costs. Well, hopefully they do because I think it's it's better baseball when the uh, at least for me when the Reds and the Pirates are playing each other and they're both and they're both good. I've enjoyed enjoyed it through the years. So um, it, it's uh, for me. I, I mean, I grew up a, a Reds fan, uh, various reasons, but uh, having lived in Indianapolis for uh, about ten years, I was able to for a couple of years have a set of season tickets. That was three. It was a weekend series, so I got to go to the games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday once a month, and I had opening day and closing day uh, tickets, so that was always fun. Uh, and then the, the Pittsburgh series and the Cubs series was always fun to go to. The first Major League game I saw live was in July of 1992. It was Pirates and Reds at Three River Stadium. This was while Pittsburgh was good, and they were actually in contention in the East every year. And they jumped out to a big lead. I remember Orlando Merced had it either it was a two-run double or two-run triple. If the Pirates scored seven runs that night, everybody in the stadium got ice cream. And oh. they got, to, I think it was seven, seven up and seven. When they jumped out, they were up huge. And I remember they started passing out the ice cream early. Reds came back, ended up winning 10-7. Uh. Struck out to end the game. And that team brutal. had, once Juan Samuel was on that team. Hal Morris was on that team. That, that was that was that's my first game major league game ever saw live my first one and i remember part i mean i remember going to the ballpark and stuff i don't remember anything in the game because i was probably four or five years old uh it was either 67 or 68 somewhere in there when the uh seattle pilots were their only year in the league uh so uh, I've been watching a lot of baseball but uh 90 or 91 i think the pirates hosted the uh, all-star game somewhere in there 90 90 91 92 mm. you asked that too fast that's all right uh, well whatever year it was it was in the early 90s we we had flown into pittsburgh and at the time you know there was 
still no internet, I don't think. Uh, I think there might have been uh, AOL or something like that. No, there probably wasn't even AOL back then. But, uh, you know, you grab the paper and you, and you, you see when the ball games are listed. And we saw that the, uh, uh, the uh, Pirates were playing. So we drove down to the stadium, walked around the outside of the stadium. And when I say the back door was open, literally the, the, the big gates that were at the back that opened up into center field were open. So we just walked in. And I remember taking our picture in front of a sign that said, uh, home of whatever year it was, All-Star Game. So we took our pictures in there, and we decided, you know, to walk around front. And uh, we asked if they had any tickets available. The lady says, "Uh, sure, where would you like to sit? We're like, best available. She goes, all right, I've got these four seats right behind home plate. Would you like these? Like four rows up. I'm like, yeah, how much are those? And she's like, $12 a piece. I'm going, what? Sure. So we ended up going to a Pirates game that night at Three Rivers, Three Rivers Stadium. I've not been to the new ballpark yet, though, unfortunately. If, if you do get a chance to go see PNC, it's highly rated. It is the best park I've ever seen. The skyline is gorgeous. There's not a bad seat there. And once they can get a consistently good team, the attendance numbers will get back to where they were once COVID completely goes away. I know some places are getting closer and closer to full capacity. Georgia Southern just announced that all outdoor sports are going back to full, but PNC, just to go there, sit there and soak it in, it's it's incredible. It really is. Yeah, I just saw that y'all had announced that. that that's exciting. We did too, but unfortunately, uh, our fans have learned that they can sit at home and watch it and not have to worry about the weather or, uh, or a team that's, uh, in their opinion, is subpar. So I've, I've heard... I've heard you and Jay talk about that the last couple of episodes, and I knew that Jay wouldn't pull any punches on that because I know how he feels about a number of issues, and I know how passionate you guys are, especially about the atmosphere that you have at Teague Field. And having been there a couple of times, I remember the year that we were there in 17, the press box was getting redone, so we were broadcasting from outside. Number one, knock on what everything worked. So from that standpoint, it was great. Yep. But to sit outside three days and listen to you guys sing center field at the stretch, I mean, going from, from a press box, it's one thing, but to actually be in the middle of all of it and just look around and see 5,000 people singing center field at once was, was pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I've come to realize that not all fans are like me necessarily in the sense that they're going to go to every game. And I, and, and to, to give them a little bit, I think it's really hard to go from uh, we're not going to the game. You know, we don't have tickets. We're pissed off about that because we didn't get our season tickets this year. So all of a sudden you've got three weekend home series. And now the the weather, honestly, the first weekend that was available was bad. Uh, last weekend was Mother's Day. Um, so I, I've got to give them a little bit of a break. And I know I sound like I'm wishwashing here, but I just think when you go from one one extreme to the other, you're not going to get back. But I did expect to go from 540 people a game to at least a thousand. You know, the, the thing about people with season tickets, very rarely do those people go to every single game. And I think that part of having those tickets is, yeah, they want to be able to use them as much as they can, but they also want to be able to say, hey, these are my seats. If you would like them, it's 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 a novelty deal, but it's a, an experience that you can share with other people at the same time we're going through something that our generation has never experienced and something's going to reach a breaking point where people are going to be tired of 
sitting in recliners or sitting on hammocks or front porches and seeing the game that way because especially for baseball nothing matches being at the game you can watch a football game on television you can watch a basketball game on television baseball is outside if it's good weather if you've got the breeze you've got a dog you've got a beer you've got a coke you've got your peanuts popcorn whatever you cannot be sitting outside and it doesn't even have to be a game with teams that you're a fan of it's just nope. the fact that it's outside having the sun on you and just being able to say that i'm enjoying being not inside eventually a lot of people are going to get back to that point and that's when we'll reach out and grab the normal that we had right back in i guess in the early part of 20 before the shutdown happened yeah you know the uh, uh i'm glad you say it like that because for me i remember about four years ago maybe it may have been longer than that but i I was up in Indiana and I was, I think I was closing on my house. And then on the way back from Indiana, I, I in Indianapolis, I caught a, uh, an Indians game. Then in Louisville, like uh, the next day I drove to Louisville, uh, caught a bats game, spent the night. And then the next day drove to Nashville, caught a, a sounds game. Then the next day drove to Birmingham, caught a, uh, a Barons game. And then the next day drove to Jackson and caught a Jackson Braves game and then came on in to Indiana, uh, to Louisiana. So for five days, I was just traveling and I, my boss, I would, you know, I would go and I would, I would spend the morning working and I'd get a late checkout from the, uh, hotel and it would give me just enough time to get to the next stadium, go in and catch the game, go to the hotel, work the next morning. So I didn't have to take any days off, but I spent five days watching baseball. So it was awesome. That's cool. And uh, not not too many people are willing to do that. I know most of my friends, even a three day weekend series, especially when you and if you got that Tuesday, Wednesday night, then you're home for three games, you know, five games in a row. It is a lot for for most people. I won't say everyone. So it take, it takes a special breed of crazy to be a baseball fan. I agree with you there. And, I, and that but I think it's our crazy. And that's just how baseball people are. That's well, just. You know, I, I uh, somebody asked me something and I said, well, I said, I'm not doing that because we lost last game. And they're like, are you superstitious? I said, no, I'm not super. I said, I know it doesn't work. I mean, I know there's nothing to be superstitious about, but at the same time, why take a chance? I mean, <laughs> you know, I know that if, sounds stupid. No, baseball, if you believe something is either happening or not happening, it probably is. It doesn't matter what the situation actually is, but if you in your mind convince yourself that, okay, because I put my left batting glove on before my right and I'm hitting 360, I'm going to keep putting my left on before my right until it goes wrong. I'll switch it. I'll do whatever I need to do to get back in the way that I think that I should be. Yes, sir. All right, well, let's take a quick break. and uh, When we come back, we'll talk about the Eagles. So we'll be right back after this break. And we'll talk some more to Danny Reed. Thank you for listening to We're Talking. Welcome back to We're Talking. We've got Danny Reed from the Georgia Southern Sports Network. You nailed it. That's awesome. you I'm going to get it by the time we're off of here, whether it, it, it takes me or not. So let's talk about your Eagles. Uh, uh, I won't say a – I. I still think you're the best team in, in the Sun Belt. Quite honestly, I think you're the you're the most well-rounded team. The uh, and we'll get into other, the other teams here in a little bit. But what's going on right now with the team? 
what could they do better, I guess? What, what are you seeing out of them? 28 and 18 for a non-conference weekend in Elon that starts Thursday. It's a Thursday through Saturday. Kind of gets them used to the idea of going a day early. And then with next week, the regular season ending against Arlington at home, that's a Thursday through Saturday, of course. And then wherever you get slotted in your pool, that determines on when and where and who you'll be playing down in Montgomery. Last weekend, though, at Arc State, maybe the team was due to take a, a bit of a hit. Maybe the offense was due to calm down. The pitching was still fine. Defense was fine. Just running into an Arkansas State team that's playing as well as they have all year. And they began the season. They were terrible. I mean, they're 0-7. Their, their ERA was north of 13 for a while. And even now, it was barely below 8. And there hasn't been a conference team with an ERA over 8 since 2010. So you're trying to set up your weekend with where the offense has been. We all have been to Tomlinson Stadium. When the wind blows in, that place is about twice as big as what the numbers say on the outfield walls. And it seemed that whatever Georgia Southern hit to the outfield, it died or it just was caught. It, it, it was unreal. The only run that scored off a hit for the Eagles in three games was a home run by Austin Thompson in game one. Outside of that, the other three runs that scored were on a ground out and two wild pitches. So Georgia Southern went into the weekend hitting nearly 300 as a team, almost six and a half runs per game, and they scored four runs in three games. And what took us aback a little bit was Arkansas State as a team that historically has not pitched well. They haven't defended well. They've been able to hit, but they just give up so many runs, so many free bases, didn't do any of it. The weekend rotation somehow did what they did, whether it was Hudson, whether it was Nash, whether it was Holt. They just pitched really well, and in game one, the Eagles had 16 fly ball outs, and a lot of those were really lazy fly balls. Even the ones they hit hard, it just seemed to go right at people. Ended up playing a double header on Saturday. The approach got a little bit better. Still couldn't cash in the runs. And what stunk was that the Eagles were getting a lot of two-out hits, but they weren't getting the two-out RBI hits. They had one hit all weekend with a runner in scoring position. That didn't come until game three, and even that was an Austin Thompson single that moved Mason McCorder from second to third. So even that didn't drive in a run. And on the other side, whatever Arkansas State swung at, they seemed to put in play. It seemed to avoid a fielder. Ben Klutz, their third baseman, who's hitting really well lately, he hits an opposite field home run to right center, which we could not believe. He's got the power, but the way the wind was blowing and the way the ball wasn't carrying. And then later on, Noah Ledford comes up, Georgia Southern's cleanup hitting DH, and he hits a nuke to right center field. It looked like it was going to go 500 feet. Somehow Drew Tipton goes over a couple steps to the warning track and just goes right to him. We're just sitting there thinking, you cannot hit a ball any harder than what he just did. It would have been a three-run home run for the lead, and it just it just didn't go anywhere. And that's the kind of weekend it was. You know, Georgia Southern went to Jonesboro, still thinking about maybe they could be an at-large team because D1 baseball was starting to take notice, especially after the series win against South Alabama, but dropping two of three out there, the at-large is out of the discussion. People are starting to gravitate back to South as the best team in the league, but the series the week before against the Jags, I think the two best teams in the league did play each other in Statesboro and Georgia Southern getting two of three was huge. It got them as part of the discussion. That being said, I still think South Alabama is really good. I think they've got great pitching, maybe not as good if they're not in Mobile. I think we saw that this past weekend when they dropped two of three at Texas State, but that is a really tough lineup. I don't care if they're hitting 230 collectively. They've got dudes. They've got Ethan Wilson, the preseason player of the year. I don't think they're as fast as they have been historically, but they're going to bunt. 
They're going to put pressure on the defense. And in conference play, they haven't made any mistakes defensively. They've just got an airtight infield. Wilson plays a hell of a left field. That's the team that nobody wants to see in the tournament. And I would hope that they would feel the same about Georgia Southern because I do think the Eagles are playing really well ever since the victory over Georgia in early April. They're 15-5 and five in their last 20. So, yeah, maybe Ark State was time to take a step back a little bit. But I think this is a team full of third, fourth, fifth-year guys that have been through it. They've been to three conference championship games in the last five years. So they're seasoned for what they're about to go into. And you just hope that they can get it back on track this weekend in Elon. Well, the, the nice part about it is I, I don't think you'll see them unless you're in the championship game, if I'm right. looking at everything correct, which is if nice you can for you bunch all. everybody together. If you can bunch yourself together with top teams in your division, whether it's the East or West, odds are you won't have to deal with them until you would get to at least the semifinals. But if you're that top seed, of course, you can just go one and one and advance. Otherwise, if you're one of the two bottom seeds, if you don't go two and oh, you can't move on. Right. That's that, 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 that simple. Well, we'll get more into the tournament in a second because I've got a lot of questions there. But the Arkansas State thing was kind of a little puzzling. But at the same time, I feel like that 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 field is and, and you mentioned a lot of this, but that field always plays different. I mean, it's it's a unique ballpark. It's there's not a whole lot of room at the backstop. Uh, it, it's just the whole they they there's I mean. There's not a whole lot of people normally at the games. You think you're at, at, at a Little Rock baseball game. No offense, but, you know, <laughs> uh, they don't keep very good. I mean, they, they haven't in the past. I don't know what it looked like that weekend, but they haven't in the past taken very good care of their field either. So uh, I don't know. Um, I guess there's a question in there somewhere. I'm still trying to look for it. Jay mentioned it earlier this week that it's a program that doesn't get a whole lot of financial support. And you would hope that would change with the new guard of AD with Terry Mahodra going to UCF and enter Tom Bowen, who had spent a number of years at Memphis. So at least he's regional enough and he gets the culture and he get, gets where it could be. But at the same time, if Terry was so was there for so long and could raise funds in a number of different ways, why couldn't it happen for baseball? So maybe, maybe it's perspective Maybe they need to win before they can get it. They typically play their best baseball going towards the conference tournament, but what has always held them back is the pitching and the defense. Yeah. But now, if they could have their weekend guys continue to pitch like they have, the last 12 weekend games, they've had nine quality starts. And that's a team that has never, never pitched like that consistently. If they keep replicating that, it doesn't matter what seed they are. They are somebody that can go 2-0 and in a pool it doesn't matter if they finish as high as third or maybe they drop to as low as fifth in the West. That's, that's a team that's going to start to get people's attention if they keep pitching like they have been, because I think offensively they can hit with anybody. Well, I'm, I'm just looking now their remaining weekends are they're at Troy and then they play uh, ULM who I'm no fan of ULM, the university, but I think they have been playing better baseball as of late and going to Troy is going to be tough too, in my opinion. So yeah. That Troy's uh, won its last six conference games. They won a Coastal last week, and they swept that series. And Coastal hadn't been swept at home by anybody in 21 years. So that yeah. tells you how hot that Troy has been. And they figured out some things pitching-wise. When we went to Riddle Pace to start conference play, their rotation was up in the air. They had Orlando Ortiz in game one. He was not good. He was in the middle of a stretch where he was just awful. Garrett Gaines is a fireballing freshman. They've also got Bay Witcher at the back end. Those are 
couple of Georgia natives, but now they've got Gainis going to start the weekends. Ortiz has been a lot better lately. And Jay mentioned this, their lineup with all the guys that they have, I think one through six. I don't know if you can find another team in the league that goes like they do one through six with Drew Frederick up top, who's been there for 15 years, it feels like. Logan Cerny's a player of the year candidate. Sinkfield solid. Mosley doesn't get out by anybody. Bartolero's good behind the plate. They're, they're just good. They're, they can hit with anybody. There's a reason why they are in every game late in the season because they can score. Yeah, they're, uh, it, it, but they've seemed to start fast, have a lull, and then come out strong in, in, at the end. So we'll, we'll see what happens there with them. Uh, but the question I have for you, though, is obviously, I mean, you're, you're talking uh, well about, uh, good about Troy right now, but the, the, the series, and here's where I struggle a little bit because I'm, I'm about to bring up the series that, at, uh, at Coastal, is is Troy that good or is Coastal really that bad right now? I mean, I understand, but 21 years not being swept at home has yeah. to say something to you, unless they haven't really played anybody at home. But I don't know. I, I won't go there. You, well, you understand what I'm Georgia, saying? Georgia Southern should have swept that series in Conway. They won the first two games comfortably because they pitched really well and up 6-1 in the fifth inning of game three, and Coastal realized the only way they were going to beat Georgia Southern is to swing for the fences, and it just so happens that if you're at that ballpark and you swing for the fences, you're going to get rewarded for it eventually. They had five home runs. They ended up coming back for an 8-6 win, and while it wasn't good to leave town with a series finale or loss, still taking two out of three from a team that's still looked at as right now probably yes. the best program in this league, you're five years removed from a national championship. Every year they've been in the league, they've at least won a championship in some way, shape, and form. But this is a team that reminds me of that 2014 squad. I remember them briefly when I was at the Citadel because they would play Coastal in the midweek. They'd get a home-and-home, home, wouldn't play them on the weekends. But that was a team that was rebuilding a little bit. They had, won a, they had hosted a Super in 2010. That team won 50 games. South Carolina went to them for a Super, knocked them out. And then South Carolina went on to win a national championship and they were trying to get things rebuilt. But 2014, they took a big step back. They were under 500, which Gary Gilmore, you don't have those yep. kind of seasons, but sometimes it just gets you. And then they had the 16 season where they won 55 games and then took home everything and their last day in the big South. And then they bring that with them to the Sun Belt the, the very next day. But they're, they're not the same offensive team that they have been. And the team that won the tournament championship in 19, almost all those guys are gone. Parker Chavers is the only one that's left, and there's just nobody around him. They can't protect him in the lineup. Yeah. What helped Georgia Southern in that series at Conway is that he came up with a guy on base once all weekend. Now, he hit one home run. That was a solo shot, thankfully. But with where he was in the order and the lack of production from everybody else around him, he couldn't hurt you because nobody else was on base. And at that time, their weekend pitching was – really inconsistent they were recently off of a COVID pause their own COVID pause they've been the only team in the league knock on wood that's been affected by that where they've had to actively call off their own games it cost them a series against App State but now their best reliever Alaska Abney has gone to the front of their rotation just because they have to get weekends off on a better foot Nick Parker has been okay and they just they don't put the fear in you offensively like they had when they came into the league in 2017, but still 
they've got the capability to score. And in a tournament, you've got to be able to put up runs because when pitching staffs get taxed, guys are going multiple days, guys are pitching that maybe don't have a lot of experience in the year coming in. You better be able to score. Otherwise, you're going to be going home. They're, uh, and, that, and that's what kind of scares me until, until proven otherwise. I really thought that the, uh, you know, they, they came to us and we, we took three out of four games for them, from them. And I really thought it was because I, I didn't think we had beat them because they were sick. I thought that was part of it. And then the next weekend they were, they were on, they were on the hiatus from COVID with the app state. Uh, so, but it's interesting to see, uh, but doesn't surprise me uh, that, that, that they have fallen off a little bit. And to your point on the solo shot, uh, Coach Robe used to talk about it a lot. Solo home runs aren't going to be, beat you, but right. you walk that first guy mm-hmm. or, or you, you know, and you get him on base and the next guy hits a shot, that's a two-run homer now. So it's a, it's a different thing. I, I'd rather give up the, uh, uh, the, the, the solo home run than give up the, the leadoff base walk. Yeah, the, the solo home run is nice to get the crowd into it, but it's the three-run home, home run. It's the grand slam that deflates the opposing team where it's, oh, now we just had a lead or maybe we were close and now it's a little bit wider. It takes all the momentum that you might have had. Give, up, give me a solo home run all day, but if it gets to a point where it's multi, then you're, okay, that, that, that's something we got to deal with. I think Earl Weaver said, he said, uh, you win by pitching defense and three-run bombs. Three-run <laughs> Or three on homers. So, uh, so back to Georgia, uh, Georgia Southern, uh, Elion this weekend. Um, anything good or indifferent about them? You'd like to? I mean, are they are are, are they a team you would normally play, or is that or is that something because of the way the league was set up? And then we had some like us. We had a series cancel because the, the, the league we were supposed to play that had the same off week decided to go uh, only, and that's how we picked up North Alabama. So The good thing here is that there is a past relationship with Elon because they spent 10 years in the Southern Conference right before Georgia Southern became a Sunbelt team. Elon consequently went to the Colonial at the same time that the College of Charleston did. That's when the SOCON lost five teams that gained three over about a two or three year stretch. There is history. Their head coach, Mike Kennedy, has been there 25 years. He and Rodney Hannon have known each other. Rodney is now in year 22, so they've known each other for more than two decades, and almost every matchup between the two has featured those two as head coach, and more often than not, Elon has been the team that's been victorious, but this was actually supposed to be the weekend that Georgia Southern was going to go play East Tennessee State, which is one of those teams that was in the SOCON, went to the Atlantic Sun, then came back to the SOCON during that whole realignment craze, but the SOCON said, oh, that's not going to fly. So had to find somebody else to fill the spot. I don't know exactly who it was between to fill that weekend, but having played a home-and-home with Elon, had a three-game series up here in Elon in 17, took two of three, and then 2018 they came to Statesboro in early March, the Phoenix winning two of three at J.I. Clements. So this is the third time since 17 that the programs will have seen each other. There is quite a bit of familiarity. You've got Stephen Curry and Mason McWhorter, who were both on the team. They were freshmen in that 2017 series when came up here and took two out of three over Latham Park. But it's a matter of whether or not these count for Sunbelt standings. You've got to find a way to build a little bit of momentum going into tournament play, and that'll 
increase even more with UT Arlington coming to Statesboro next weekend to wrap up the regular season. But even though these won't directly affect your standing in the Sun Belt, if you don't play well, you can't just rely on being able to turn it on when you have to. You've got to be playing at least good baseball. So that's your baseline instead of playing poorly. And then, oh, we've got to get it ramped up. Otherwise, we could be done here in a couple of days. Well, and I think that was the biggest thing for us last weekend with North Alabama. I said the same thing. There were several people going like, well, you know, we should have beat them. I'm like, yeah, but if you don't do the things you need to do when you're supposed to do them, you're not going to be able to do them when, when, when you have to do them. So, and you and, did, I mean, you got, I mean, North Alabama, since we played a couple of Atlantic sun teams this year, I know that that's a transitioning program from division two. I know yep. that they're trying to work through some things. I know they had seven wins all year. You should have swept. You did sweep. You pitched well. You hit well. And I know that talking with Jay and hearing you guys speak that it's been the two out situations with runners in scoring position that yep. have not been great. But if you could almost use that weekend as a test case, if you could find a way to get even a little bit better there, then when the level of competition increases, like a conference tournament, then maybe you'll have a little bit more comfort and some more success in those situations. Well, I know Coach Deggs was uh, he was he was trying to get the guys to, into hit and run situations and doing those things. And a couple of times we got base runners uh, thrown out. But and you know, our fans are going like, well, why are we stealing there? I'm like, it's not a steal. It was a hit and run. I mean, come on, pay attention. But have yeah, another beer. About, <laughs> especially down there, especially yeah. with you guys. I know how aggressive Deggs is from his days at Sam Houston. Sometimes the way that that brand of baseball is you're damned if you do damned if you don't you've got to try to generate something especially when a team is known for striking out I know the Cajuns have high strikeout totals that was similar for Coastal Carolina but they couldn't get guys on base that weekend we were in Conway so they couldn't figure a way to get Georgia Southern yep. uncomfortable Eagles just continued to pitch well but in your instance getting a North Alabama team in it wasn't going to do you much good to beat them because you should have beaten them. But if you would have lost, that would have done more damage. That's the whole damned if you do damned if you don't deal. But with exactly. that style, with that style, you got to use it as almost a means of being able to try some things out, put guys in situations where maybe we can bunt him where we usually wouldn't. Maybe we can steal him where we usually wouldn't. But if they come through, that's found money that you can use to your benefit over the final couple of weekends. I know you guys have Arlington coming up this weekend, and that's a big series for everybody in the West. It's a big series for us in the East because that can help determine the regular season champion. So everybody's kind of watching everybody these next couple of weekends to figure out which pool we're going to end up in and who we're going to be playing in Montgomery. I don't think we're going to know until the, till like the yeah. Sunday or no, I'm sorry, the Saturday where, I, I mean, I no, think especially we'll, the West, you guys are a mess. That division oh. is a mess. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's crazy fun. Uh, so, and, and for someone who likes to plan, uh, it's not the best thing for me, but I've just resigned to the fact I'm going to Montgomery on Monday with, with Jay and Brad and I'm there until they leave. So uh, the, the way that Colin and I put it, baseball is always going to baseball. Yes. You better so, be able to expect the unexpected because when you think you have it figured out, you do not. And that's what I, I, I don't think more than any other sport, you're not going to see, uh, you're not going to see us jump up the Cajuns or even the Eagles for that matter, jump up and beat Alabama when Alabama is at their, at their height in football. 
now, but you will see us be able to take a game or maybe even a series if, if you know, if it's Arkansas, uh, LSU, Arkansas, wh- whomever it may be, uh, Clemson, we've got those opportunities to do that. Uh, that's it, what makes that's what makes baseball more special. And I was actually thinking about this just yesterday with the league needing to improve its profile to become a multi-bid league in baseball. Again, you've got to be more successful against power five teams or teams that have higher RPIs, good teams, the American League. We played East Carolina earlier this year, could have won two of the three in Statesboro, ended up only taking one, but that's still a victory over now a top 15 program. But if you look at it from a standpoint of football, you might get one or two chances per year against a power five team, unless you're ULM and then you're playing six power five teams, which I guess they're gloves for punishment. That's fine. I know they've got things I got to take care of. And then in basketball, depending on what kind of money you need from the program, you could play five or six. So if you play more, the odds are you're going to pick somebody off. Sometimes you may only get one or two. And this case of a COVID season, Georgia Southern didn't play a single power five team in either football or men's basketball. And then with baseball, you can have your midweeks, in the state of Louisiana, you got what 14 Division One schools. You got your pick of the litter. You can play LSU. I know La Tech's having a really good season. In Georgia, you don't have as many options. We lost our two games against Georgia Tech this year, which we haven't beat them 11 straight times. So it would be nice to play them. But the ACC has their rules. Also lost the game because of weather. Got one against Georgia and Athens, which has been the springboard for the streak that the Eagles have been on, but didn't get the game in Statesboro. Had a chance late, but ended up the game ending with the walk-off run at the plate. But at the same time in baseball, it seems like those are the most opportunities. And I think about the Texas schools as well with Texas state UTR, like you've got all those power five schools within a couple of hours of each other. You're playing a and you're playing Texas, you're playing Baylor. You have a chance to really step up and win games like that to improve your RPI. People look at Arlington and Texas state's records. They think, why are they under 500? Their midweek schedules are nightmares. Yes. And they are every year. Totally. Uh, and I just think uh, the, the most exciting part, and, and I don't think the NCAA's figured this out yet uh, in basketball because they don't understand the fact that people watch the NCAA basketball tournament because of Cinderella. Well, they're having less and less Cinderella's getting into the dance because you're going to let a, a 16 and 15 Syracuse team in into the into the tournament, which I think is just horrible when you and then all of a sudden a 26 and three. Uh, Illinois, Chicago, or whomever it may be, doesn't make the tournament. And I think, which is very, very sad, in my opinion. Yeah, I know it's all about money, but at the same time. It's more money. That's how it happens. Well, but I don't don't believe that in the sense I think ratings go up when you have Cinderella beating somebody. And Cinderella, again, is to me, is not the seventh-place ACC team or the eighth-place SEC team. That's not Cinderella. The unfortunate part about that whole situation, we all love Cinderella's, but eventually they do die out. There's very rare instances where VCU makes it, where Wichita makes it, where Loyola Chicago makes it. When it comes down to it, it's set up where marquee programs, the programs with the biggest fan bases, the biggest followings, don't think that this doesn't happen, that they are strategically placed to be represented and well-represented as deep as they get into the tournament. The worst thing that CBS, Turner, Sports, and could experience is if marquee programs get knocked out early. No, I understand. Because it's going to kill their ratings by the time you get to Elite Eight, Final Four, 
and national championship. That's, and, that's what a lot of it boils down to. And, and, and Gonzaga is not Cinderella. Gonzaga is not. Well, they're a also not a mid-major program. They're yeah. not a mid-major program. And, and I will, uh, uh, anybody that wants to fight me on that one, come on down. Uh, I'll meet you at, at Cajun Field tonight at six. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but no. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're, we're not going to take a break yet. I want to, because I'm, I know I'm going to forget about it uh, if, if I don't move forward, if I don't talk about it now, and I don't want to hit the keyboard. But I don't know if you heard that the, the Sun Belt is going back to the 30-game conference schedule in baseball next yeah. year. Correct. Uh, and you talked about the opportunity, like y- y'all had, were able to play Oklahoma in, yep. in an off week. We were able to bring in TCU. Uh, I think this is a huge mistake after only one season and I'm not sure why they did it and what the, who made the decision to do it. But I think it's, I think it's horrible in my opinion. Yeah. But with what we currently are experiencing now, granted you've got East Tennessee state, Elon, neither one of those are going to do a whole lot for Georgia Southern. The opportunities to get series like in Oklahoma are so few and far between because you've got to find other leagues. Number one, that, have higher RPIs, but number two, have availability and that don't have full conference schedules that have open weekends just like this where both would have a need at the same time. At least from this standpoint, the Sun Belt can play almost everybody. Look, if you're playing 10 weekends, you're still going to skip one. That's just how it is. In our case, we probably won't play Louisiana because we don't seem to ever play Louisiana unless it's in a conference tournament setting, which has already happened three different times. But at least from a league standpoint, you're getting a better idea about what the league has instead of an instance like this where you have eight weekends. We don't play Little Rock. We don't play Louisiana. We don't play Texas State. And that's because the rolling RPI, we know that's the case over a four-year stretch. And if the setup would have remained the same, then you're not seeing those teams for an additional three years. But ULM got this right in that they decided to go to Ole Miss and to TCU. They're going to TCU this weekend. They may not have a chance out there, but if you have a chance to get a schedule with a team where you wouldn't ordinarily play them on the weekend, you've got to do everything you can to schedule up. Don't schedule a light team. Now, in those certain instances, like in North Alabama, that may be all that you can get, and so be it. But I think that what has happened is that more teams have seen it's difficult to get those series like a TCU, like an Ole Miss, an Oklahoma TCU, because if everybody can't have that experience, then I don't think you're gaining enough out of it. If you have to keep scheduling across or down, then the idea of enhancing your own RPI kind of goes out the window. No, I, I can appreciate that. But at the same time, I don't think teams are doing enough to schedule. And for us, the North Alabama would not have happened if it wouldn't have been for COVID because we had another team scheduled. And next year, we're, we're not only losing uh, our out-of-conference game where we were supposed to go to TCU, but we're also losing an out-of-conference series that we, uh, we had Tulane coming to us because those were the bye weeks for us. So, you know. Well, on the other side of it, if you're going back to 30 conference games, then the little bit of non-conference you do have in that first month of the season, schools have to take it upon themselves to schedule up and not get the patsies or whomever that you want to try to steal some wins against to make the overall record look better, which is fine. We all need wins. We know that that's got to be an important part of in some way improving the profile of the league. But if you're not beating quality teams at the same time mixed in with some of those games that you need to just 
beef up the number of wins, then it's being counterproductive. You can have a team that wins 35 games, but if you're playing a bunch of scraps, it's not going to look that good. That's why your RPI is going to be low. And ultimately, once you get to tournament play, you're going to fade out because you're not the team that you predict yourself to be. If you schedule up, even though you may lose some of those games, you keep scheduling them, odds are you're going to pick somebody off. And who knows, maybe you can get a weekend where you take two or three from a TCU. We were very fortunate to get two or three in Oklahoma. Stout played them, could have swept it, but they bounced back in the final game. They ended up showing their offense and they did what they were supposed to do in their minds. But for an Eagle team that was trying to scrape it at large together, you needed a series like that to get into the discussion. You needed to take a series from a South Alabama team to get into the discussion. Now, last week at Arkansas State didn't help, but you can't plan on that. You just yeah. need to do everything that you can to give yourself the chance to be in that discussion. Yeah, and I and I agree with all that. It's it's just that I mean, with with the with the league like the Big Twelve, which is the biggest misnomer, the that are you know what do they have eight teams, nine teams, whatever they are, and I don't think all of them play baseball. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I think I think leagues like that need somebody to schedule uh, throughout the year, and I think there's opportunities there. And, and, and I know it's, it, it can be a disadvantage. I, I was very disappointed that we weren't playing y'all this year. Uh, and, uh, and as much as I'm not a fan of Georgia state, I, I do enjoy going to Atlanta. Uh, so, but at the same time, I do not want to play app state in March. <laughs> you know, I don't care if it's the beginning of March or the end of March. Yeah. I don't think anybody does, but that's so, <laughs> somebody's, somebody's got to take that one. Somebody's got to take it for the rest of the league sometimes. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. We're listening. We're talking. Got D- Danny Reed from the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back to We're Talking. We've got Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, and on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, let's talk quickly. Uh, uh, appreciate your time today, as always, and appreciate our conversations, whether it be a text or in person. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the the conference tournament coming up. As it stands right now, uh, the Cajuns would be in Pool A with South uh, South Alabama, Coastal Carolina, and the Cajuns. So three teams again: South Alabama, a very good team. Coastal Carolina, I think, is still very dangerous. Uh, then then it's Georgia Southern, uh, Georgia State, and Texas State in the in the next uh, in the next in Pool B. So uh, Texas State is a team that can be very dangerous. And I believe Georgia State, and I hate to say it this way, but after you guys stomped them on a Friday night game, they took the next two games from you. So, I mean, can still be a very dangerous team, I guess. This is a year, and maybe we try to convince ourselves of this every year, but with all 12 teams going this year, because they weren't last year with COVID, but with all 12 teams being there this year, you could make a case for everybody to win the tournament this year. Now, some may not have a very big case or a very good case because Georgia State's numbers have gone down a little bit because of their brutal non-conference schedule filled with P5s. They've struggled away from Panthersville. Little Rock has been awful away from Gary Hogan Field, but at Gary Hogan Field, they've looked like the best team in the league. You could still make a case for every team to win the tournament. And I don't think it matters who's in what pool because Jay made a really, really good point the other day that nobody in this league has been very good away from their home fields. And in some cases, teams have not been good on their home fields, but nobody has consistently been good 
on the road. Nobody gets the benefit of hosting this thing this year. Look, I know Troy is about an hour away. South Alabama is a couple of hours away in Montgomery, but nobody has the benefit of being a true host school for this tournament at Riverwalk Stadium. So I think that that means the results are going to be even crazier with some matchups between teams that have not seen each other this year with only eight league weekends. I mentioned the three schools that Georgia Southern does not see in 2021. But I think right now you'd match up against Georgia State in round one. There's going to be a revenge on the Eagles' mind if it ends up staying that way. Got the 23-1 to victory in game one at Panthersville, but they pitched a little bit better. They defended a little bit better the last two games to take the series. And then a Texas State team that I think can hit with anybody. John Wuthrich is back. He missed 30-some games with a wrist injury since he's been back. I think they've won their last four weekend series. So that's that's a program that can really swing weekend pitching-wise. I think they try to patch together and just be as good as they can. I, I don't anticipate any of the pools are going to be like they are with still two weeks left. I know we're at a conference this weekend, but for some schools, you've got league weekends this weekend and then next Thursday, Friday, Saturday to figure out who's going to end up where. But in the Eagles case, I think I mentioned this earlier, just because Elon is not in the Sun Belt doesn't mean the Eagles can just look at these games as you know, whatever happens. Let's use guys that have pitched in three games. Let's get guys at bats that have only seen a handful of games this season. You've still got to be in the right frame of mind to get ready for an Arlington team next weekend at home who can really pitch. They always seem to be solid enough out of the bullpen. They've got one of the league's best players in Connor Obie. I know his numbers are a little bit down this year, but he's one of the league's best center fielders. It seems like Josh Benhara's their shortstop has been there for a decade and a half. He's their version of Drew Frederick for Troy. But Arlington, for whatever reason right now, is number one in the West. That's the team that the Cajuns are chasing, that Little Rock's chasing, that Texas State is chasing. And as we found out last week, and Arkansas State would like to get in that discussion as well. It's it's. I agree with you. Just about anybody can do it. Uh, you know, you talked about being uh, Troy being close to Montgomery. Um, but honestly, I've been to uh, Troy for a conference tournament. I've been to South Alabama for a conference tournament. I've been to Georgia Southern. I've been to Texas State. The only two, the only three teams that uh, really I thought had a home field advantage was us, y'all, and Texas State. The fans did not come out for Troy necessarily. And, and the same thing, uh, a couple of years ago, 2016, I believe, you had two top 25 teams. Uh, the Cajuns and, and, the, and the Jaguars were like 21 and 23, less yeah. than 1,000 people there to see the game. Very disappointing. Uh, and, and South Alabama tri- traditionally has a, has a great program. So that part's disappointing. Um, like you said, so much can change in between now and then. Let's talk quickly. I know you guys need to run, but let's talk quickly. The advantages and disadvantages. Right now, I think sitting as the four team, I think we're at an advantage because uh, we play every other day if we were if we were to play there. And our 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 uh, our first game um, would would be against Coastal, who uh, Aaron Getty pitched well against. And uh, then our second game would be against South Alabama, who Connor Cook pitched well against. So again, I know that's looking way ahead but yeah uh, when, when you look at the the teams that are seated number three i think are the biggest disadvantage you play tuesday then you sit around till friday uh that's got to be i mean that's not a good situation for a ball club and at the same time if you lose that first game 
you will know before you play again whether or not that game even matters. That, an, another great point. But the positive of playing on Tuesday is you can throw your one. You're probably not doing that for a full start. You're probably looking for anywhere between nine and 12 outs. And then you can bring that individual back if you get to Sunday. Now, I know coaches will say that they don't want to plan ahead too much, but in this kind of format, you've got to think, okay, I need to get this game, but I also need to plan ahead if my team keeps winning. Because if I use all my bullets, then by the time I get to Sunday, because there's not going to be an at-large this year, so you can't just say we'll throw anybody because we're going to be going to a regional. You've got to be able to have a plan if you, in fact, get to Sunday. The teams that pitch Tuesday can use their number one, even though that guy would have just pitched on Thursday, unless some teams decide that they're going to save that individual if they already know that they're going to be playing Tuesday. They may pitch off that Thursday through Saturday conference weekend. If you're a higher seed, of course, you've got the benefit of going one and one and moving on because the higher seed gets the benefit of the doubt with this format. All 12 teams going is an absolute bonus. I think we're going back to back to eight next year with two four-team pools, but I think that that's still in the works. That's just what I've been told. There are positives, there are negatives, but for the teams that feel like they're hot, win two games. It doesn't matter where you're seated, just win two games. So what I totally agree, and I think in in it, I I really don't think it does matter that much, uh, especially if if you're one of the top four seeds. I think any one of the top four seeds in each one uh, and, and maybe even going a little deeper than that, have the opportunity to win, uh, at least get out of the pool play. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the pool play, how it's set up this year, knowing, I mean, let's take out, let's take out why it's there. And we, we all know why it's there because of COVID and the possibility of more games being canceled. What do you think of this three-person pool? If you're going to let all 12 in, then this is probably the way that you had to go about it. And I understand that you're trying to protect the higher seeds, which for a league that's only going to get one team in anyway, I can understand that. And if you're a lower seed, yeah, it it makes you get presented with the situation that you could be playing a meaningless game for your final game. Because if you're not the top seed and you go one and one, you can't win it. If you're the lower two, you have to go two and oh, but That's why the regular season matters. And you can play both sides of this because if you're a team that finishes third or lower in your division, then you didn't do enough in the regular season to warrant one of those top two seeds to have the advantage of going one and one and still be able to move on to the semifinals. I hate that for teams that you would have to play a meaningless game for your last game in order to just keep the tournament moving. But this is why the regular season matters. And I like that standpoint. And we talk about that with basketball a lot, where if everybody gets in the conference tournament, all team needs to do is get hot for four days. And you could be six and 18 and go to the NCAA tournament dreams come true. Well, that makes the regular season meaningless. At least with this structure, you can value what a team has done to finish as a top two seed in the East or the West and give them the benefit of the doubt to say, well, even though you lose a game, you did enough for those 24 games or whatever that you can go and still go to the semifinals. But as a bottom seed, if you didn't do enough over the previous couple of months, then you should probably have to win both of your games to get to the semifinals. And, and back to your point, though, about a meaningless game on, on Thursday or Friday. Again, if you win your first game and you're the lower seed, that game's going to mean something because you're going to play the other person. So 
if, if you want a meaningless, if you don't want to have a meaningless game, win your first game and then it, then it becomes meaningful. So, uh, but I hope baseball does not become like basketball uh, uh, does at least the regular season to where it's meaningless because uh, it's a shame because I really think that the Sun Belt does have some good baseball schools. And uh, as much as I'm not a fan of uh, Little Rock and UTA in the sense that they don't uh, play football, I, th- I think when it comes time for baseball, I think I think they're good for the league. And for that matter of fact, probably even basketball, too, to a certain extent, they get hot every now and then, and, and that happens. So, um, but I'm going to let you go. I appreciate your time. Uh, you've been listening to Craig Malasaw and Danny Reed from the Georgia Southern Sports Network. At least Danny's from the Georgia Sports Southern Network. I'm Craig Malasaw from We're Talking. So let's not get that confused, even though you might see me talking with Danny and Kyle, uh, Colin. Uh, Let's get together at the tournament. Let's have a, an adult beverage or two. Uh, I, I, I think you, I'm not spilling anything here. I think you guys have agreed to sit around and do a podcast in the evenings, and we might be able to do some live stuff from the stadium. Uh, yeah, there's uh, a chance that that evening stuff gets a little bit dangerous, but we will set some parameters with, yes. with Jaybird because I think that he's the parameter person, but that, that, ah. that'll be a good time get everybody together because think- we haven't all been together. This, this, this will be good. Jay's a rule breaker, man. He needs to be more mature like I am. He is a <laughs> perpetual rule breaker. So, Danny, serious, all serious, thank you so much. Please tell Colin you hello. You guys you enjoy it. your evening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll see you in Montgomery. Uh, maybe we can uh, get the four of us so on next week once we uh, – before the final weekend of the, of the baseball, if everybody has a little time. Uh, if not, we'll talk right after the uh, before the tournament, hopefully, and uh, see what's going on once the seedings are announced. All right, you guys be well. We'll see you in Montgomery. Sounds good. Thanks. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.